is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Sometimes, Darren. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's a pity this is a crap podcast, because that opening music's really good. It is, it is, it is, Darren. Um, sometimes, Darren, sometimes, the really dirty, really filthy mingers, like the ones don't, that, don't, don't, the, the no, ones that on, you really got... just shouldn't, Darren, the ones that you think, I shouldn't, but you do. Sometimes they're the most fun, Darren. Sometimes they're important. Stop it. And I you feel know, like that game against it. Leeds, Darren, that game against Leeds was a dirty, filthy minger, like a f- 5 a.m. in a nightclub job, you know? But I'm fine with it, Darren. I'm 100% fine with it because I still – I get three points, Darren. I get three points and it puts me on top of the table. Good morning. Good morning. Do you want me to say something now? That's the only thing I have prepared for the show, is the intro. And I only thought about that five minutes before I jumped on. Okay, well, that's more than I've got prepared. So be prepared for a very short podcast, listeners. Yeah, well, actually, we've got a bit to talk about, because we didn't talk last week. We we were both away. I was I was in London. I went to the Emirates. I was at Liverpool, so I haven't been for a month. That was uh, that was good fun. Well, why don't we um, why don't we kick the podcast off there? Because we we didn't have a chat about it. Um, it's a real we we spoke about it, saying in the in the podcast prior, Darren. I said that this was this game against Liverpool was already a defining moment in Arsenal season. The reason why I said it was a defining moment in Arsenal season was because. We were going to see, even though it was a, a, a weakened Liverpool team, it's not the same Liverpool that was. Granted, they just fucking did City. But it was a, a line in the sand moment for Arsenal to, I guess, move beyond this team who would could beat the also-rans, but then couldn't go up against the big teams and, and do them. Um, what were your thoughts on the game? What did you see? Just talk about whatever the fuck you want. I don't care whether we talk about Liverpool or Leeds. Do whatever the fuck you want. I think the theme for me, this podcast, is how much I still hate Arsenal fans. Do you know, (laughs) we're we're top of the league. You know, when we we started this season, none of us, even me, the the most positive Arsenal supporter (laughs) that the world has ever seen, was struggling to see how we would challenge the top two, you know, let alone top four was always going to be difficult. You know, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, the emergence of Newcastle, then there's normally always one. You know, we are top of the league and playing some beautiful football with a side that is brimming with young talent that's only going to get better. And, you know, after about 20 minutes in that Liverpool game, Liverpool equalised and there was about a 15 minutes um spot where we were under the cosh the crowd which i know has been fantastic this season the crowd were nervous it was quiet it was almost pin drop quiet at times when liverpool were attacking and it's strange because it's been so vociferous there and it was quiet and then three rows behind me a bloke who's obviously not reading the room stood up in this moment of pin drop uh, silence and said, Xhaka, you're a cunt. (laughs) And and I thought, it's just bubbling under the surface. We're top of the league. We were 1-0 up and we were beating Liverpool and they were attacking and suddenly just there was this murmuring of disquiet. And I'm just going to continue this theme briefly because I want to go on to the Leeds game and the same negativity. Uh, At half-time, there I was down... In the uh, in the luxurious bathrooms at uh, at Arsenal, which reminded me of when I used to stand in the clock in back in the uh, early eighties, when you would stand in six inches of piss with five hundred blokes trying to urinate with six available urinals, 
uh, and I was just luxuriating about how football has changed in my lifetime. And the bloke next to me said to his mate, he said, and this is a half time, so we had just gone two one up. Saka had just scored, and the bloke said to his mate, "It's about time that Saka did something. He's been fucking useless this season." And I'm standing there and just thinking, I can't bear it. I can't. It's very, very, very close. It's bubbling under the surface. Do you know what? We're top of the league. We lose two games. That crowd will turn. Hate them. Hate Arsenal fans. Not all of you. <laughs> Darren, I think I said it on this. I, I asked a question on a podcast when uh, it was you, me and Ryan on a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you know, how far away do you think the negativity is? And you've just answered the question. And, and I said on that podcast, I was like, you know, we're only ever a couple of wins away from, you know, the Arteta out guys getting their feet under the table again and saying, well, I fucking told you so. And that's why that, that Liverpool game was so season-defining for us. You know, if we go back to, to last season, you know, we've got a, a fairly heavy defeat to Tottenham in there. We've got you know, getting close to City and getting done in there. You know, we got close to Liverpool. I think we got done by Liverpool. We got done by Man U. And at the start of this season, Dazzy, you know, losing that game to Man U in the, in the manner that we lost that game to Man U, that was the first time I saw the, the cracks immediately appear, that early in the season immediately appear, you know, because we went for it. And I think I said in that podcast, you know, I'd rather see a manager going for it and trying to put the foot on their jugular. And the reason why I said that at the time is I said, I think Mikel Arteta is trying to change the mentality of the team to say, no, it's our ball. We're going to go out and win it. We're going to dominate it. You know, we're going to be the, the defining force. And it's interesting because we won that game, which is a game that we wouldn't have won last year because we would have gone to pieces after we conceded. And then, consequently, the Leeds game is 100% a game that this team would never have won in years past. We'd have lost that, and we'd have probably lost it heavily. And yes, we owe a lot to Aaron Ramsdale in that game. We owe a huge amount to Aaron Ramsdale. But that's what you buy fucking players for. And that's what you buy Aaron Ramsdale for. Yeah, oh, look, I couldn't agree more. But in fact, you can squeeze one in the middle there because we played up against PAOK pub side midweek. And uh, and they put us under the cost for an hour in that game. We were we were severely under pressure. And what I I mean, I think going back to the Liverpool game, the joy from that is that we didn't only get pegged back twice and didn't capitulate. We actually went on to to run that second half against Liverpool. Mm. We took them to the cleaners. You know, there was only one side in it. The scoreline flattered them. We were much much better. But then we've just hit a little bit of bad form. You know, we've changed the side hugely midweek to, to to travel to Norway, which isn't a short journey. Um, you know, it's a mix-up of a team. All the squad still travelled pretty much. So everyone's got that same um, jet lag. Get back Friday afternoon, go up to Leeds. who haven't won in five and uh, and are just playing in, in front of a, a, a crowd that's incredible. And we defended magnificently. For in both of those games, for for a couple of hours, you know, and we didn't concede a goal. And yet, all I heard, I'm going to go. Let me just just briefly because this one I watched back in in Spain in the Arsenal Costa Blanca Supporters Club. Shout out to me, mate Declan, because I said I was going to say this. I couldn't believe second half we're under the cosh, and rather than the support getting behind us and cheering every fucking Gabriel block and cheering every Saliba clearance and. And, and and wondering at every Ramsdale save, there's people shouting, "Press, you're a cunt! You're giving the ball away! Part of you're fucking useless!" And 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 the whole it feels like the whole crowd are so nervous and so on. Let's just, just enjoy it. This is George yep. Graham's football. We are George Graham. We're going to win the league this year. So I'm in a little, I'm in a football tipping competition, and I tipped this game to be a one-one draw. I tipped mm -hmm. it because. You know, when you've got teams playing multiple competitions in a very, very heavily compacted season, especially this end of the season before we come up to World Cup, we've got lots and lots of games. We had a th we've got a thick October followed by a thick November. These are the games when teams who aren't playing in multiple competitions are at the bottom of the ladder. This is when they have the opportunity to go and do something. And it happens every fucking season. And if you're a fan of football and if you watch enough football, you must understand that these, these things are coming. You know, we get done by Southamptons. We've been done by Brightons in the past, you know. And it's not just us. I think if you look back at if something like if you look back at City's 
like City's loss record. Someone put a thing up. I'm going to fuck this data. But City have lost more games to teams in the bottom of the table than they have to teams in the top of the table in the last three years. And granted, it's not very many games. It's a handful of games. But that's because you're going to get these mental flat spot periods when you played three times in a week or when you're coming off this extreme high of going and doing Liverpool. And then for a lot of those players actually having that middle period off, maybe traveling and not playing, it just got caught a bit cold. And in saying that as well, Darren, had we been able to fucking finish, we'd have blown leads off the pitch in the first 20 minutes. Then we left three goals on the table in the first 20 minutes. And then they just got into the game and we just ran out of fucking gas. I don't know if you saw it the same. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was exactly it. I thought the second half, the the the, the disappointing thing where we didn't look like a Manchester City or a Liverpool is that once we couldn't get the game back under control, we we didn't have, you know, Party didn't have his best game. You know, the, 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 the midfield couldn't hold the ball. Jesus was probably as ineffective as he's been in an Arsenal shirt so far this season. And it kept coming back and back and back. And it was a bit a game of attack versus defence. It was almost what they do in training, I'm sure, for hour upon hour where you just, you know, clear the ball up and it's another attack, another attack. And you know what? We did hang on and we were lucky and we rode our luck and we got all of the decisions right as they were. We got all of the decisions going our way. But, you know, you 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 stand back and look at that game and think, this is a game we would have lost. And if the if Bamford had scored that penalty at one all, I actually think, you know, I'm hoping that that's our side has got enough within them that they actually would have gone up and just turned up another gear again because that's the way we've been playing this year. It was a worrying couple of games. We've looked a little bit um, lacklustre. We haven't been in control. And yet we've got six points from those two games, you know, in the Europa League and in the in the league. And we're, we're at the top. You know, we're still there. We're still... It's an unprecedented... This is the best Arsenal start in the, in the top flight in the history of Arsenal Football Club. If we can't enjoy this now, you know, it's, a, we're, we're, it's, it's almost like we're running ahead. It is a bit scary, isn't it? We're like a little skinny Ethiopian running up in a big marathon. And, and behind us, we turn, we look over our shoulder and they're quite a long way back. But there's a fucking big load of big geezers chasing us up the road. You know, there's Tottenham uh, keep winning. Chelsea keep winning. You know, Liverpool beating Manchester City. Uh, Manchester United still there. And they're all, if you look at the league table, suddenly the Brightons have dropped away. The, the shit is, is starting to go and all of this cream has come to the top, but we're still there. You know, we're running, we're running, we're running, we're running. I'm looking but forward it, to the World Cup. <laughs> but it reminds me so much of, it reminds me so much of top four teams over the years, you know, and how many times I've watched top four, how many times have I watched fucking Tottenham play shit, you know, and, and have Harry Kane drag one out of his ass and win the game. You know, how many times we see Man U play shit. Yeah, yeah, and a fucking dive. Um, how many times have we seen, you know, Man U play shit? How many times have we seen City, Chelsea, you know, Liverpool? I've watched Liverpool games. Well, Liverpool have been fucking terrible, but they've got good players at the pointy end, and when their opportunity comes, they they score. You know, I know it's not the same, but I remember a game against Man U, I think it would have been about four years ago, where, and it wasn't when we were at our strongest, but we dominated Man U, and... Um, De Gea made something like 19, 19 saves in, in the game and basically won the game, won the game for Man U and we dominated them. And it feels like, well, it's just our turn now. And momentum's a, a real funny thing, Darren. It's it's They talk about it in golf, right? Uh, there's terminology in golf that like it takes a thousand swings to build confidence and one, one bad swing to lose it. Do you, but, let me ask you a question then. Do you think, um, obviously with uh, with things that have happened this season, there's a full Premier League programme this week and we were due to play Manchester City. Do you think we dodged a bullet because our form's a little bit wary and they've just got beat by Liverpool? Would they I be think, I don't think we would have won the game anyway because I think City are still a better version of us than what we are. And they have greater depth than us and they have more, more resources to go into. So I wouldn't have expected us to win that game. I fancied us against Liverpool. I, I fancied us there. I thought we would go and do Tottenham. In fact, I put money on it and I won money on it and I picked the amount of goals and I picked one of the goal scorers and I picked the scoreline and stuck a nice $250, $300 in my pocket. I never, when that Man City game was coming, 
one of the reasons why I thought the Liverpool game was so season-defining was because I thought lose to Liverpool, beat Leeds, lose to City, that's all the momentum gone. I don't think it would have mattered if we beat City or not. It would have mattered if we got blasted, if we got pumped. You know, we're a little, we're a little, we're a little jaded, Darren. We're a little jaded, and I especially think, you know, talking about momentum again. You know, I kind of feel like, especially defensively, you know, with Gabriel and Saliba, that they, you know, they're young players and young men, and they say the hardest thing is that talent can reach a certain point. But when you're world-class, it's the ability to maintain that level week in, week out, concentrate, prepare yourself and keep going. And I always said at the start of this season, I don't think Saliba will maintain that level for the entire season. There will be drop-off. And we have seen from Gabriel, I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, that I think Gabriel is a little bit mentally frail and he tends to make mistakes. And then when he's not confident in his form, starts to slip and he starts to do silly things and he starts to use his phys- his physicality to make up for those mistakes. So very, very long-winded. I don't think we would have beat City anyway. So I think it's a good thing that we get the rest because we got PSV after that. Which yeah, I mean, really still, means we, we don't get a rest. We, you know, we've, we've, we're still playing this week. We're playing Thursday night. Um, so that's, that's why we're not playing Manchester City. Um, but I just, I remember last year's game against, you're looking puzzled, Max. Because I'm looking at the fixture table. And yeah, yeah, we're playing Man, Thursday. Man that's why we postponed, and that's then because, Friday's the next game, PSV. Well, Thursday for us. Yeah, Thursday night. It's, um, it's, uh, we're playing this week. We're playing, that's why our game is postponed, because what was it? Why did, uh, I can't, okay. remember they cancelled it because the Queen died or something, didn't they? Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, so so that's why we... They, they yeah, so we've still, we've still got a game, but our first team won't be involved in that PSV Well, I, I, I think they will because this is the, the this is the crunch two games. PSV are our rivals within that group. If we manage to win this group, we get a break. We as It's a new rule this year, isn't it? As, as, as if you win the group, then you get a week off. You know, you get a bye, you know, so they can sort out the wheat from the chaff. I'd, so, still, I'd, still, I'd, still be giving, I'd still be giving the two centre-backs a rest. I don't think PSV have got so much that, you know, Holding and Ben White... Can't do a job there. Well, that's not resting, Ben Wise. I mean, I, I do think there will be changes. I'm not saying that there won't be, but I think, you know, there, there may not be the eight or nine changes that there's been. I think we may see Tierney start. I think, you know, there we will see Holding start. Um, Are we going to give Xhaka a rest at any point? Start. Granite Xhaka's played yeah. every single minute of every single game. But because he's played, he's played all the Europa games as well, and he needs a rest because he'll come undone. He's very, okay. he's very injury resilient, Jacker, but I fear that mentally he could come undone. Yeah. I would just want to go back to the City game because I thought last year at the Emirates, that was the closest we've come in in four or five years to beating the City. We were the much better side. Arteta understood how they were going to play against us uh, and tactically we were much better. It was a Gabriel sending off, if I remember, and then a, a late winner from them when really we, we lost it. You know, the crowd lost it. The players lost it. We just, we should have won that game. Uh, it's games at this year. So I think when you look at Arteta, he's managed, you know, we got beat by Spurs at the end of last season and that hurt. But there was a bit of special this year when we played Tottenham. I'm sure he used that defeat last year. And I'm sure he's going to use the defeat last year by Manchester City in the same way. I was looking forward to that game. And I, and I you know, but I think it was just probably good that after they've just been beaten, they don't normally lose two games on the trot, and I think they would have been a lot, um, a lot more difficult to play this week than hopefully after the World Cup. You know, um, let's see. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, Gabriel. You know, I'm I'm not Gabriel's biggest fan. I, you know, I like him. I like him as a player. I like the fact that he's big and he's strong, and he. I like the fact that um, you know he, he's got that energy and that enthusiasm. I just don't think he's a good enough footballer. To, to do what Arteta wants to do. The same with Tierney. You know, he, he's, he's playing more, he's playing Tomiyasu now instead because he's more of a footballer, he's two-footed. But Gabriel, for all of what happened at the very end of that game, I thought he was magnificent, the way he continued to throw himself into challenges and led that line. And he was the stronger, I thought, of the two, him and Saliba. I thought Saliba had a fucking bit of a mare with some of his decision-making and... And things like that. And, yeah, look, I said last week that I thought it was time that Gabriel 
came out of the team, I was like, I, I think he needs a rest. I, I think he's, you know, at that point where he's starting to look like a bit of a penalty machine. But, you know, we can't forget that despite Saliba's physical prowess and his, his technical ability, you know, he's got, what, 10, not even 10 Premier League games under his belt. And you've got a guy next to him in Ben White who's got a hundred and some, you know, probably probably more than 150 for, for Ben White, Premier League games. I just think at some point it's not possible unless you're the Leicester team that won the Premier League with the same fucking 11 people and no one ever got injured and they played in no other competitions. I don't think it's possible to go through an entire season without rotating. And I fear that the longer you go without rotation, the harder rotation becomes in big games. Whereas the the very fact that Ben White has played all season at right back and has been fabulous this season, fabulous is, you know, almost faultless. Um, The fact that he is playing every game means that when we rotate, we're not bringing in someone who's cold. You know, we can we can drop Saliba or Gabriel. We can put Ben White in the middle. We can put Tommy Yasu in the middle. We've got three choices at left back now. You know, mm. how, how, maybe we should, you know, spend a little bit of time talking on that. How is Kieran Tierney feeling? I mean, I read a, a thing this morning that said uh, Arteta pulled him aside for the Liverpool game and said it's a tactical thing. Uh, it's not you. He said, it's a tactical thing. I'm going to play Tommy Yasu. And he took it like a man and he knows he's got to fight. But then going to Leeds... Uh, Tommy Asu kept his place in that side, and rightfully so. I mean, apart from a bit of a dodgy mistake early on in the game, played really well. You know, he's a very, very talented two, two-footed football uh, footballer, two-footed footballer. Yeah, well, at the start of the season, I said that I thought Kieran Tierney was overrated and that I really liked him, but I felt that he was overrated and I felt that, you know, he was an effort player and people loved him because they reminded him of, of the way a footballer should be, but that I hadn't seen enough from him that he was as good as what people had made him out to be. And I think Zinchenko proved that to some extent when he came in, because we look better with Zinchenko there. No one can deny we look better with Zinchenko there. And Tierney does have a fight on him. I understood the, the, I understood the move from Arteta, obviously in the, in the Liverpool game, to, to go with a more defensive to go with a more defensive right back. Um and I think Arteta is just one of these guys who once someone does something and they do a good job, he says it's your job until it's not your job anymore. You know, and I think if Zinchenko was fit, you might actually find that Tommy Asu, after his Liverpool performance where he put Mo Salah in his pocket, you might have found that Zinchenko wouldn't have got back in the team either had he have been fit. So I hope we've got a culture now at Arsenal where all the players understand that it's a bloody long season, where all the the players understand that they are part of a collective and it's not necessarily about you. And the best teams in the world have players who are fighting for positions. And that just means that when Kieran Tierney gets his his next run, when Kieran Tierney is, is selected against PSV, he's got to go out there and he's got to be the best he can possibly be in his position and wait for Tomiyasu not to be the best in his position. And in saying that, I thought Tomiyasu was a bit shit against Leeds. I thought he got caught out a couple of times. I thought his his body positioning wasn't right, being on the other side of the pitch, and he let Leeds get in behind him a couple of times. So it, it, in a really long-winded way to answer your question, I think whoever's playing best in that position at the time, I think the way Arteta is built is it's your shirt until it's not your shirt. Why did Arteta take, um, I'm thinking of our regular um, commenter, why not sentimental, who used to say at the start of every podcast, Arteta out. Um, and there was some grounds for that. I'm so, I mean, obviously now it's al- almost laughable, um, the people who are saying Arte- Arteta should be out. What went wrong in that first year? I mean, I know he was a rookie manager and... Uh, it, it, he seemed to me to get excited by the chance of getting a David Luiz or a or a Willian because they were players who played he played alongside or played against, and I think you know he he, he jumped at the chance to get that. But when you look at the um, extending of Bamiyang's contract, the signing of Willian, the signing of Luiz, these would have been things that Arteta rubber stamped. What it what did you know? And yet we look at what he's built now in the last eighteen months, and it's kind of incredible 
the difference in him as a manager in those first 18 months mm. to or the first year to the, the second 18 months. So on the Aubameyang comment, Aubameyang didn't give us an option but to re-sign him with his form and with his goals at the back end of, you know, winning the FA Cup and, and that run, he was superb. So I had been, do not give Aubameyang a contract the entire back end of that season. And then at the end of that season, I said, you've got to give him a contract. You know, it's almost like Theo Walcott. You know, Walcott was on his way out the club and then we moved him to centre forward and he scored like fucking five against Reading and, you know, three against Newcastle and became the greatest player in the world until he signed his contract and then... Maybe this is a good time to to pull you up on your love of Theo Walcott and Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Uh, and, and Alex Iwobi and you know players that, uh, that <laughs> I you, always you, liked a player you, who just tried yeah just, you just you, tried <laughs> no but Walcott never tried he hid he did try always hid he hid he hid he, he never awful. fucking hid look at his stats Darren he's in the top yeah, five yeah when he played centre forward for, he was great but he's, uh, he, in, to, he's when, in top five at Arsenal for for goal contributions per he minute played of all for time. a 10 year period where where we didn't have we couldn't spend any money because we were you know skint why are we fucking with Theo Walcott? Why well, are we saying just, I just No, I love him. I know, but Theo Walcott, Ainsley Baitland-Niles, uh, Alex Iwobi, who's got a great goal at the weekend. But these are players that, you know, people champion that, you know, we should be keeping and building teams around. And now they've just disappeared off to subs benches in lower league teams. You know, it's... Uh, it's are we going to get back to the question 20, that you are? Are we going to get back to the question? £20 million pounds for Ainsley Baitland-Niles from Wolves. That was another stupid decision. Stupid. Yeah. So the other thing I would say on that is I think everyone has a a, a thought process in their head because of the way we've been brought up watching football that managers have that they have to rubber stamp things. You know, it's not it's not the case. It's not the case in business. It's not the case when you're a senior manager in business. You know, you get directives from boards, from shareholders who say, sorry, from stakeholders who say, this is the plan and this is the progression and this is what we're doing. So on that, I I wouldn't necessarily make the assertion that Arteta rubber stamped everything because that was what he wanted within his first year while he was still trying to get his knees underneath the table. To some extent, I think it's possible. I, I think that there's a strong possibility that he may have shown some uh fuck come on max english he may have shown um some resistance to some of these things that were allowed to happen and those things may have blown up which might actually have allowed him to have a little bit more say in what he's doing okay well i I mean for a start i i think the only way a club is successful is if the manager uh, has 100% control. You know, I, I don't really believe, do. I don't believe that's true. Uh, on, on staff, because he, well, he, if you're going to employ a manager who wants to cert- play a certain style of football, I, I absolutely agree that you should take away the responsibility of contract negotiations because he's talking with these players week in, week out, you know, trying to get them to play football. He has to be able to go, you know, your agents and the club will sort out contracts and money. He has to coach and manage those I'll players. I'll tell you why that if doesn't does, work, Darren. I'll tell you why that. No, no, well, I tell you, it does it, work. No, awesome but Benga, I'll tell you why. George yes, but awesome. you're talking about different fucking eras, Darren. And no, no, you're talking awesome about players. Different. You're talking about times when players had when players had loyalty and people would take unders and you know they weren't in professional systems from the first time they were out and the player managers didn't have as much power. So, you know, you're a fucking relic, Darren. We all know you're a relic. But I'll tell you this, this is why it doesn't work in the modern scope of things, right? And this is why a board has to be making progressive decisions because a manager may have between three and five years of the club at a maximum. I don't know what the stat is. If any of our four listeners can pull up a stat, I'd be interested to see what the actual average spent time in a job in the Premier League is. And I think it'll be less than two years. I think it'd be less than two years, which means every time a manager is making decisions, that manager is making decisions that's going to keep them in a job because they need to win to be in a job. So if they need the job and if they want the job, they have to make decisions for now. Let me finish. (sighs) When you have a board, the purpose of a board and the purpose of a V9 and the purpose of an Edu 
is to start planning for long terms. They have to plan to get rid of the manager and they have to plan for when those players are gone. So you've got succession planning, you've got long-term planning, you've got turnover planning, and a manager cannot be solely trusted to do that because you will never have an Arsene Wenger again and you will never have an Alec Ferguson again. Those two things will never happen in modern football again, which is I'll why meet, you need these structures. I'll meet you halfway because what I'm saying is you're missing the point. I understand now that, you know, with, with professional footballs are different to what they, they were in my old age, you you're know, back in my youth. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is that, for a manager to be successful, and Arsenal have proved it with their, you know, they kept George Graham for a long, long time. They kept Arsene Wenger for a long, long time. And I hope they'll keep Mikel Arteta for a long, long time. It has to be a collaboration. Arteta has to say, right, I want this sort of left back. I want a Zinchenko. I want a Tomiyasu, that sort of player. Go and find me them. You know, I understand that there's that. And I think the problem was when Arteta joined, we were under a strange situation where for the first time in Arsenal's history, the owners of the club, had um, gone with a Raul Sanieri and a recruitment guy who we'd, we'd brought in and, and spent a lot of money on. And we were investing that way rather than the manager. We had a new Emery come in. You're right. We had a new Emery come in. And this was the way we're going to do it. You're going to coach the side. And it was the first time Arsenal had gone that way. It was an unmitigated disaster. Um, yes. Emery, you know, it didn't work. With Arteta, you had somebody who understood the club. And obviously, it's obvious now, looking back, that he had a particular style of play. Do you remember that first year, 18 months? We talked a lot on this show. We don't know what his style of football is. We don't know because he was given players that didn't fit or didn't work the way he wanted his You can see now, definitely, him, Edu and the board have, have got a clear focus on what type of player they want. And a Kieran Tierney that was our superstar two years ago because he was the best player we had in the side is now and also ran in this in this side because Might now Arteta now wants a two-footed ball playing left and right back. You know, and that's and, and those players you can play, you know, at centre half as well. It's a clear change. So I think Arteta that first year, I think it was forced upon him by um, you know, the structure that we had at the club. But the last two years, you can see the difference. I think definitely that it is more collaborative now than what it has been. So the idea that a manager needs to rubber stamp everything, you know, and and a, and a manager gets a final say, you know, I don't believe that that's the case. But the fact that the manager gets a seat at the table and an important seat at the table and gets a vote from a, a, a decision perspective and can put forward his, is able to put forward his candidates and then it's Edu's job to essentially, it's Edu's job to say either yes or no and give him reasons as to why he doesn't want this player or why he doesn't want that player. Um, but, you know, so I agree with you. It's definitely more collaborative and I think there is scope to, make it so that the board and the technical directors are there to support the manager. The manager isn't there to undertake the board of directors um, direction, essentially, which was the position we were in with Emery, where we had a, a, a rabble of players. And I think if you, if you look at Arteta's first season, if you look at his second season for that one, because we're into his third season, right? We know his third yes, season. Yes, we are. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. he's been there for two and a half years. If you look at his first years. season and his second season, you know, both of those seasons were heavy transition. There was a picture of the first team and they had all the faces X'd out compared to what was there now, you know, and we were at full, we were at full turnover. And that's not just turnover of talent, because the thing I I, I genuinely believe in Arteta is I think that the personality and the fight, you know that old saying, it's not the bark of the dog, it's the fight in the dog, fight of the <laughs> dog. It's a fucking saying. I've got absolutely no idea what that's saying. There's a saying that's like basically it's not about how big the fucking dog is in the fight. It's about how much fight there is in the dog. Ah, okay. That right? might be Some, more it's, like it. It's a, it's a boxing, boxing. I fucked it up royally. <laughs> but it basically means that, you know, you can have a, a you know, you can have people like Aubameyang and people like Lacazette who think very highly of themselves, you know, and are able on their day to you know, produce high-level football. Or you can have someone like Eddie Nketiah or, or someone incredibly humble like Gabriel Jesus, which is actually the the trait in him that I most like compared to what we had before. This fucker's not showing up in a gold Lamborghini, Darren. 
You know, he's not an, an Alex Lacazette, you know, lip on the floor every time he doesn't score. You know, he gets up and he goes again and he's humble. And I think that's what Arteta is building. I think he's building a team of absolute fucking kill each other for the badge, humble guys. I think he's putting a group of, of men together who don't necessarily have ginormous alphas. I don't think this team can handle an alpha, Darren. I don't think this team could handle an alpha when it had Aubameyang. I think it unbalanced us. I think it's the way Arteta wants to play his football is that everyone contributes in their position to a team effort. Yeah, sorry, I was slightly distracted. Absolutely right. I think Jesus um, is a different animal. I've managed to watch episode four now of... uh, the uh, Arsenal all or nothing. But I can't watch it because I know it's, a, it's like reading a book when you know the ending and I didn't like the ending. Um, but I did watch the Bavarian one and you, you just realise that, that is, that's why this team is working now. There are no superstars. Well, the problem is, what happens now is another really good, interesting thing we've got to talk about, contracts. The likes of um, Martinelli. I didn't realise, but I saw a tweet today. He had... Um, he had four trials at Manchester United and they didn't sign him. There's a picture of him there when he was at 14. I really didn't realise that. That's a, a huge coup. Now we've got these players, Saka, Martinelli. What are we doing now? Are we turning them into superstars? Will their heads get turned if somebody offers 400,000 for, for Saka? Do you know, where, where does the loyalty go? If you listen to Gabriel, to Martinelli, they're all loving being at Arsenal. They're all loving being part of this project. But when one of them gets a big, big contract, is this going to upset the apple cart? I told you this story before, and it's only hearsay. It's going back even before my time. But Alan Ball played for England in the World Cup uh, when we won it, uh, was Arsenal's biggest signing at the time, got signed by a huge amount of money, and he left his payslip in the middle of the dressing room uh, at Highbury just so that all of the other players could see how much more he was earning than they were. You know, and you sort of think, in this day and age, when everything's public and uh, it, it, it's not, we don't, I'm sure they don't get pay slips. Uh, I'm sure they don't get little brown envelopes of, uh, of cash every Saturday afternoon. But, um, you know, what's going to happen? What is going to happen when, in the summer, someone comes and offers £60 million for, for Martinelli? Yeah, so first of all, your internet is absolute fucking cabbage, but I've managed to piece together the words of what you've said with your head has been frozen in the same position now for about five minutes. But first of all, I think you have to win and you have to be winning because I don't think players will leave a winning team for a little bit more when we're talking about already earning an ungodly amount of money. I think that's the first thing. Second thing is we are going to have to come to the table and start producing money for these guys. So, you know, we've produced the money for Saka now at 200000 a week. You know, is Martinelli a 200000 a week player at this stage? No. Would it cost us a whole lot more to go and buy a Martinelli at Martinelli's level, considering how much money we have inputted into his development, yes. So in that case, you know, Martinelli might not be worth 200000 a week, but the amount of money to go and find someone at his level or develop someone from scratch again far exceeds it. So I think for the right players, for the players who have done the right thing and improved to the degree that they have put them in, themselves in a negotiable position to earn big money. Well, big clubs pay big money. And we played fucking a shit ton of money to people like uh, fucking Kolasinac, even though we didn't pay any money for him up front. I understand that was skewed. But, you know, we paid massive money for Ozil. We put massive money on Obama Yang. So I've got no problem putting, you know, 50%, 60% of those sorts of wages into players. I mean, what happens when someone comes and offers us 60 million for them? I don't really give two fucks. And I don't think Arsenal should give two fucks. Because I'll tell you what, if there's a player in that dressing room who decides money is more important than togetherness and money is more important than the badge, then those players shouldn't be anywhere near this fucking team anyway. And I wish them well as they go on their way. 
I just I just fear that if we if we give Saka two hundred grand a week, I mean he's probably you know most of these players are on you know what is our average wage bill these days? You know I mean uh, somebody like Martinelli is probably on fifty grand a week. Well, he's, you know, he's he needs probably... he needs to go up to one hundred and seventy grand a week. And yes, yeah, but when so you, he gets one hundred and seventy you... grand a week, and then Gabriel, who's probably on seventy grand a week, wants one hundred and seventy, and then Saliba. Well, Darren, when you're Saliba paying people a wage, when you're paying people a wage to be a sixth place team or an eighth place team, and those players deliver you a second or third place finish and Champions League, you fucking pay more money. That's the nature of football. So if every one of those players needs to be upgraded. And that allows us to maintain, it allows us to build them. Fantastic. But I'll tell you what it does mean, Darren. It does mean you can't be turning down 20 million fucking pounds for Ainsley Maitland-Niles anymore. It does mean that as well as being a good buying club, you have to become a good selling club. And I, think so. mean, I think Kieran Tierney is probably a very good example. If somebody now offered us 35 million for Tierney, it's probably a good deal. You know, if he It doesn't may mean, Darren, you've got to start being a bit more ruthless. You know, if, if uh, God forbid, because I love ESR, right? But let's say that, uh, what's his name? This fucking new young man who's been scoring all the crackers, Vieira. Let's say that Vieira just has a fucking stonking season, right? Let's say he has a stonking season, rips it up in Europa, gets his way into the Arsenal team. Unfortunately, really ruthless clubs, and I've said this before, this is where Arsenal fans have to piss or get off the pot because really ruthless teams, teams who win, right, they'll sell and they'll sell Tierney's. And if ESR hasn't been able to get on the pitch enough in two years and someone comes in and says, I'll give you £50 million for him and you've got Nerdegaard and you've re-signed a Martinelli and you've got a... Vieira and you've got all of these players coming through, you may have to take the money on that. And you've got to take the money on that because you've got to balance the books. You can't keep them all. They're not fucking Pokemon. Here's another question for you. Uh, Martin Erdegaard, club captain, has he inherited the club captain curse? Whereas within six months, he may not be first choice and Vieira may take over his place. I've noticed no, that... No, I think, uh, I think Martin Erdegaard's going to be first choice for a very long time. I think he is a spectacular, world-class player and we shouldn't be so fickle as to see someone who does the things at the very top end of the pitch beautifully as to forget how well Erdegaard links that channel of the pitch. Erdegaard is going to be a first choice at Arsenal for a very long time and he is going I'm to just, get better. I'm just looking at the fact that uh, Erdegaard has been substituted and replaced by Vieira in, I think, the last three or possibly four matches. Uh, and so, obviously, that's where Mikel Arteta sees that Vieira is going to play. Uh, and, you know, I'm just I'm just asking that question is that, I mean, I think Erdegaard's superb, superb, you know, he's, had, he's, he's in a wonderful vein of form. The pass that he put through for Saka was so inch perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's a delight to watch. It's smart contingency planning. Smart, con smart contingency planning. You don't have Emile Smith-Rowe there. I don't even think Emile Smith-Rowe plays the Erdegaard role. I think Emile Smith-Rowe is more of a left winger or a pure number 10 than he is the, the hybrid six slash eight that Erdegaard plays. And I think it's smart contingency planning because you've got someone who you need to feed in. You have different positions that that player needs to cover. The most likely position that that player may need to cover would be Erdegaard's position. So you get him minutes in that position and building relationships with the people around him. For Arsenal to be successful, one of the reasons why Arsenal found success at times last year was because of the combination of Tommy Asu, Partey, Erdegaard and Saka that basically controlled that right-hand channel. And you can see what happens when one of those pillars is removed. We saw that in Thomas Partey. You know, once one of those pillars was removed, it becomes difficult to replicate those things. So smart contingency planning would imply that you are making decisions, especially when you're either ahead in a game or when you're looking for goals in a game. Because if I'm looking for goals, pure goals, I'm almost pulling Erdegaard off for Vieira. If I'm if I'm in the back end of a game and I'm like, fuck, we've got to score two goals in five minutes, I'm not looking to Erdegaard 
for goals. I'm looking to someone like Vieira for goals. I think we saw that with Pepe when he played last season. You know, you need goals, you put Pepe on. He's going to do fuck all else right, but he'll get you a goal because he's got a cracker on him. So I don't, I don't think it's a problem, and I think it's more of an indication that you finally have a manager who is putting in strategic ideas, strategically placing players at certain times on the pitch to make sure that he's got coverage for when the inevitable happens. What I would question is how much of that strategic nature have we applied to the position of Xhaka and the position of Partey? Well, let's have a look at um, one positive, one negative from uh, from the weekend. I know we were under the cosh and uh, most of the, the fallout from our game against Leeds United was the fact that we were hanging on, the decisions went for us. We had a great our goalkeeper had a great game, which I agree with you 100%. That's why we've got a great goalkeeper for him to have a great game. Um, but I think what's been overlooked is that within that game, how well we played at times in the first half, the passing from front to back, the, the, the confidence mm. playing out from the back, the first time passing that got us from one end of the pitch to the other was as good as I have ever seen at Arsenal. You know, it was it was reminiscent of those days when we had Vieira and Henri and Burkamp. It was beautiful to watch. We were exceptional. Absolutely. And I think that we, in a in another reality, uh, with Gabriel Jesus hitting the back of the net when he should have and a, a couple of other things going our way, we easily had killed that game in the first half and Leeds wouldn't have been able to get back at us. And the you know, negative quite- for me, the negative, um, I mean, look, we've, we've, we've done Thomas Party to death and uh, I have started to understand the clamour to have him in the side. I've started to understand the excitement because in the last three or four weeks, he has single-handedly been the man that has linked everything and has he's made been, us... He's been that team. good for quite a while, but yeah. it's, I'm well, glad that you've seen it in the last two weeks. But then I, at Leeds United, that was, you know, what what's wrong with him? Why does he... Because it was for me, it was him. That was the ball they kept passing to him and it was him that couldn't handle the, the press from Leeds United. What do we do? Did he was he just sussed out by Leeds? Did they pick on him? I would say that there would be a tactical reason that is above what my pay grade and tactical ability is to see uh, as to why they worked out how to isolate him. And the, you know, th- this has been said a couple of times, but you know, when people look at a conceded goal, I've forgotten who was saying this. It, it's the bloke who used to do the um, it's his name. He used to do the Arsenal shorts where he broke down the game for Arsenal.com. Ex-Arsenal player, really smart fella. Can't fucking remember his name. Sorry, think you're smart, like your stuff. Um, you know, he used to break down the games and he Adrian. would show... Adrian Clark. Adrian Clark. Loved me some Adrian Clark. They don't have him on Arsenal.com anymore. They should. Um, He's on a podcast anyway. uh, called... I... Um... I oh, shouldn't recommend other podcasts. Handbrake Off, one of my favourites. Oh, I'm 100% going to start listening to that. I've never listened to that. Because he's it's a fucking a, diamond. Anyway, my point is... A, they have Amy Lawrence as well. She's normally on it. Yeah. It's an athletic podcast. And, and I, like, I like Amy Lawrence as well. It's the athletic podcast. Oh, well, I've got to pay for it then, don't I? So no, 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 no. It's a freebie. Don't worry. It's a freebie. Um, anyway, my point was... You know, Just Adrian like this Clark, one. Just Adrian like this Clark, one. This is Adrian far better. Clark used to break down goals and show that the thing that we see that is the final moment before the goal that goes in, that there's a chain of events that happen before that from someone not pressing effectively up top, from someone pressing too heavily, from the team not pressing as a unit, isolating someone, someone gets pulled out of position. So in my roundabout way, considering how good Thomas Partey has been against far superior opposition with far superior players. I don't believe that it was Thomas Partey who was the problem. I believe that there would have been a couple of triggers throughout that team um, that that contributed to it is my answer. Very long-winded. Who's this bloke? Adrian Clark, name of a different podcast. What am I talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Finish point, full stop. At this point, this is where you normally ask me questions, but I've got to say, I've been asking all of the questions. What else do you want to talk about? So I've got not many comments. We haven't got many listeners when we do it in this time. So we've got one from Humbo Gumbo, who is 
Humboldt Gumble, who is one of our very loyal listeners, and he said, the Arsenal fan base reflects society. Every cunt is on edge. Apart from me, I'm stoned. <laughs> <laughs> well, we said at this time slot, we don't get many listeners. Uh, some of them just helping them relax and chill out and fall asleep. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to fucking butcher your name here, so excuse me. What, Marcin Ostrowski? Marcin Ostrowski. That's not as bad as what I thought. I was was going for Marcini initially. Marcini Ostrowski. But would have fucked it up. Lovely to have you. First time seeing you. He said, Leeds until our game made 136 out of 160 pressing sprints. In our game, they only made 230 press sprints. This is how they shut us down. Okay, so he's saying they, they, they upped their intensity... Um, hugely, almost by uh, 70% more intensity in this game than they did. But they, for me, they targeted party. They targeted Jesus as well. Um, they, that was that was what they did. You know, they they, they the press was fag- magnificent. I don't know if you get to watch match of the day over there, but they they, they did show a bit of leads and how they they just closed us down. Um, we're, luckily, we're not going to play against teams like that, but maybe teams will look at that and say that's how we stop playing Arsenal. That's how we stop yeah, Arsenal and playing. In, and in turn, I think Arteta, as tactical as he is, would have looked at that and at the same way that someone can find a weakness and exploit a weakness, I find the next week that weakness is very quickly closed down by a manager, which opens up another weakness and a completely different thing. And this is football and this way you have highly tactical managers. Darren... No, no, go on. I was just going to say, the other thing I've heard this week, and I've heard it on from more than one source, which frightens the life out of me when supporters start to say this, is they say, we've got two easy games coming up. Well, it's funny you say that, Darren, because I was just about to go into that. Um, so we're at home against PSV on the Friday. We Thursday. backed that up. Come on, just because well, you're in me, Australia. A, we're for playing me, it's on a Thursday. Friday, Australian time. Yeah, okay. I know, but they're playing in, in Europe, so it's Thursday. Okay, so we've got PSV on Thursday. We back that up with a Sunday game against Southampton. I don't think that will be a, a particularly easy game for us. I don't think Southampton are great. Um, we've then got another Thursday game after that, our second game against PSV. And then we go and we're at home to Forest. Um and then we kind of crescendo that off with a game against Zurich and then a game against Chelsea. Um, we, could, Darren, we could be going into the Chelsea game. Six points clear at the top of the Premier League. Do you, do you envisage that? Because I think Manchester United are playing Tottenham in that, that time. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, is this, is, it's a great couple of weeks. On paper, we've got two games that we are, are, are eminently winnable. Do you see any slip-ups there? Do you, do you, I, are you going I, in there with fear or are you going in there with no, excitement? Well, what I would say, Darren, is I think that so far, outside of the Leeds game, which we managed to win anyway, I think that we have shown that we are resilient and that we are able to go in and, and get results. I don't see us losing either one of those games. I think Southampton are fairly crap. Um, they're not they're not a great team and Notts Forest are crap. So no, I don't envisage a massive problem because I think Arteta's got these guys in a point where they are professional enough to go out there and get the job done. I think their mentality is to go out there and get the job done. Does that mean I'm 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 as hugely confident against Chelsea as I was against Liverpool. No, I think Chelsea are, are slowly improving and, and making some moves. But Arsenal have given me no reason so far this year to have anything, Darren, but positivity. We're top of the league. We're four points clear. Uh, we've got a very big month ahead of us You know that we need to get through. I think that it's more likely that Arteta will not play a, a hugely strong team against PSV. I think he will think that we've got enough. I think he'll take a very strong bench. That's what I think he'll do. I think he'll take a very strong bench and he will change it as as and when he needs to. Uh, but I think we'll go full strength against those teams. And I think that by the time we play Chelsea, we will still be four, pe- four points on top of the table. 
I think it's I think it's worth mentioning as well that for me the highlight of the weekend outside of our three points was Man- Manchester City losing a game. I was really really worried that this could be uh, an invincible season. They look so good. They're just you know knocking teams over for fun. They you know they're scoring goals for fun defensively. They look good, and I just had that fear with Liverpool dropping off and nobody really being up at their level that this could be the season that the Invincibles weren't the Invincibles. And I just wonder if people like Patrick Vieira and Ray Parler uh, are all sitting at home looking at the TV going, yes, come on, come on, Liverpool. Because I it, don't it's think, a special Darren, thing being invincible. I don't think, Darren, that in your lifetime or in my lifetime... Don't say was, that. I've got lung we, cancer. Don't, don't <laughs> say in my lifetime. That might well, be then, like Darren, the end of this year. <laughs> in my lifetime, which might be less than yours after my recent diagnosis... <laughs> It's not that bad. Don't um, play top trumps with me, mate. I, I, yeah, I can beat I, you. <laughs> I don't think in my lifetime, Darren, there will be another invincible team. No, no, but I don't say in my lifetime. Say in the next 50 years or something. I just don't think there'll be another invincible team. Same as I don't think that you're going to have another Leicester win the Premier League. You know, I, I, I think that these are once in 100-year events. I don't think it can happen. Um, I, I think that it's don't think it can happen but i have to admit i am always relieved when someone's gone unbeaten and they they have a loss i am relieved well we but, are a quarter of the way through the season we are top and manchester city were unbeaten you know um yeah. you know and and, and our, i say again our, our start is the best in the history of 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 of, of, the, of the arsenal football club this is the, the 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 best start we've had and potentially we could win the next two games as well you know it's it's and you know what darren even if uh, man city do go invincible, let's say they go invincible next season. It doesn't take any of the shine off our invincibility. And I would say in a lot of ways, Man City would have done it in a time when there weren't the the powerhouses that the Invincibles that the Invincibles had. And we changed football. So stick it up your ass. Our one's gold. Go fuck yourselves. Um, Can you believe you just... No, I was just going to say, can you believe without Ryan, without any notes from either of us, we've managed to waffle on for our hour, hour without any hassle. You and I, are, you and I are often more effective with just no fucking agenda because it's more like two blokes having a chat in a pub. <laughs> Except you're yeah. not allowed to drink, and I'm not allowed to drink. So that's fuck that. <laughs> I'm okay to drink. I've just got to change what I drink. Ugh. Oh, I, I see. I see. I'm Red a, wines I'm... and gin and slimline tonics. But look at me. I'm skinny. You are, you are. You look like you need a burger and a shag. Oh, <laughs> at the same time. At the same time. Uh, Let me just say, it's a lot more recent than the last time I had a burger. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we've done now? That's going to wrap us up for the week. Um, boys, don't boys and girls listening, don't be afraid of the dirty ones. Don't be afraid of them. <laughs> you know, sometimes in life you need a What's that old saying, right? If you don't fuck a troll, you'll never know who the princess is, right? So if you keep making up things, huh? That leads uh, game, you, I right? Think the we saying just, is you've got to kiss a lot of frogs, haven't you? Some, something like that. But in that leads game, we we basically we we had sex with a very unattractive victory, like very unattractive. I mean, at the the point where you sober up halfway through it and you question whether or not completion is even possible. I wish I had control of the button. I really I wish I But you I don't control, control the button, Darren. You don't control the button. But the thing is, Darren, much like how Arsenal's balls are empty after this victory, so would the balls be empty, whether that was a victory against City or a shitty victory against Leeds. One emptying one's nuts has the same outcome, regardless of with whom... Those nuts are emptied within. And I would just like to say that Leeds are full of Arsenal jizz the same way Liverpool are, and we're top of the league. I forgot to go and find the video, video <laughs> clip. Here we are. See you next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. This is an Ask Brothers production.
Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.